Oh, what is up, guys, and welcome to the Meeple Minded Podcast, the podcast where we talk all things tabletop gaming. My name is Jason. And I'm James. How are you doing this week, James? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Yeah, good, good. We've been playing some games again. We have been playing games. I introduced you to a new game last night as well, didn't we? You did. Yeah, Arcana Rising. How did you find that one? I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, that might be one that we play a bit more over the next few weeks, and maybe we'll even have a, an episode dedicated to that. Haven't quite decided yet, but hmm. I enjoyed it. I'd like to play it again. Yes. So, yes. What else have you been up to this week, James? Just the usual? The usual. Yeah, work. Work. Work, work, and more work. More work. Game Club this week was... Uh, see, I thought it was going to be quieter this week. I did. Because we, we didn't have as many bookings, and then... We still did 32 people. Yeah, <laughs> which is it's, it's insane, really. I mean, that's that's what we've been doing on average, I guess, recently. Yeah, I mean, it was a little bit lower. I think, say, we've been pushing the sort of more towards the 35, 37 points. So yeah. It was technically quieter. Yes. Well, there we go. We weren't wrong. Yes. That, that's the important thing. We will argue that to the death. We were not wrong. <laughs> we just weren't exactly right either. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> Have you done any more 30k hobby, James? No. No? Oh, well. We knew that was going to happen. But uh, for my understanding, you are having a hobby day soon. I am. Monday, Monday. So we will be doing more 30k on Monday. Very nice. What What are you building this time? Or is it, or is it more painting this time? I think we're into the painting bit now because I still need. I think all I've got left to build is the tanks, and I need some foam for the, for those tanks before I start building. Have you looked at for for that, or I are have, they just not made yet? I have inquired, sort of shopped around. I need to sort of stomach ordering it. Yeah, because I think you mainly use uh, battle foam, don't you? I do indeed. Which are annoyingly the most expensive, but also arguably probably the best. It's, I'm sure there is a heavy debate around that. It's my go-to. Let's yeah. put it that way. We will go with the safe option. Well, you had the bag already, I guess. It's yes. the easiest way of looking at it. So, yeah, that's understandable. It keeps costs down a little bit. Not by much, but a little bit. But, yes, today, James, is a game highlight episode. We're going to be talking about a small game that I was first introduced to by Wayne over at Board Stupid. Wayne and Tom of Board Stupid while we were at UK Games Expo, which is, of course, Gangshot and Clever. I was never a big fan of roll and write games, and um, they kind of, I guess, grabbed me by the arm and held it behind my back and literally pinned me to a table and forced me to play it. At least that's how I like to remember it. And I enjoyed it, which was uh, which was strange for me, and I ended up buying it and introduced it to you. So now we're going to be talking about it. Okay, guys, so we are talking about Ganshon Clever, or in English, that's pretty clever. Ganshon Clever is a roll and write game released by Schmidt Spiel in 2018. The game is for one to four players aged eight and up with an estimated playtime of approximately 30 minutes. And at the time of recording, James, this game can be purchased from retail stores for as little as nine pounds. In Ganshon Clever, players will be rolling dice and attempting to fill as much of your player board as possible. This is done by picking the dice you need to advance your scoring in each of the coloured board sections. Short story, shorter, roll six dice, claim one, repeat until you have claimed three dice, and then the remaining players get to choose from the discarded dice pool one die. 
The player with the most points at the end of the designated rounds wins. So that's a very quick rundown of how you play Ganshon Clever. James, what comes in the box and do you need a component list for this? I might, I, I, I've i made some notes, Jason, and this might take a while. Okay, have I got enough time to go put the kettle on? You might do. Okay, okay. awesome. I'll see Con- you in a minute. Contained within this box, Jason, you have six coloured dice, a pad of score sheets, and some pens that's it very roll and right indeed I suppose you could you could say the rule sheet oh the rule but are, well. are we padding out the <laughs> are Let's we padding pad out it? we need to pad out this section Jones. <laughs> yeah. that only lasted about 10 seconds okay well there is in 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 that case there is a uh, a rules it is a rule book it has several pages all seven of them <laughs> I don't think we're going to be able to do much more than that, are we? No. All right, let's skip on. Let's skip <laughs> on. Let's talk about the components. Well, let's kick things off with the theme of this game. There isn't one. Bingo. There you go. So, yeah, there isn't really a theme to this game, but, you know, visually, the game is pretty appealing to the eye. To me, the, each of the scoring sections are coloured that match their corresponding die. The score pad is pretty well printed, and the graphic design is for me well laid out and really easy to sort of see what's going on all the time it is i mean i don't know because obviously this is a family game so i don't know if my first impression is a good thing or a bad thing but when i first looked at that score pad and you know the bright colors and the boxes i immediately thought of a modern slot machine i mean i guess it, you know, it's just the way it's laid out and it's like this looks like not not, not the old-fashioned ones with the spinny round you know bar yeah, bar bar yeah, yeah. but you know a modern one it does kind of look like the display of a slot machine i'm just kind of like i'm not gonna lie i'm really glad well i mean there, there may well be one of them in in real life but i'm really glad i've not come across a gangstrong clever slot machine because i've always avoided sh- slot machines because i know what my addictions are like I, I don't think i'd not be able to to play this on a slot machine like, yeah, as soon I, as I, I found out there was a phone app i downloaded it and now i play it almost religiously daily yeah i, I th- i'd lose a lot of money if this was a slot machine <laughs> Mainly because I'm not very good at the game. I wouldn't say that, James. You're only 100 points behind me in the game that we just played. It was you that suggested we play that game before. It was. Just for the record. For research purposes, of course. Oh, oh, obviously. Yeah, we haven't played this game anywhere near enough to, you know, warrant talking about it before that. But yeah, anything else visually that sort of stands out to you that you either like or dislike about Uh, it? No, I mean, that that was honestly my first impression when I first saw the scorepad, but it is eye-catching yeah considering it is essentially just a pad of paper yeah it's not too bad i think it is is the bright colors you make sure what's that yeah okay so uh new section we're going to talk about that seven page rule book james um so yeah i i would say rule book wise it's it's very very good actually compared to some games that you will get everything is very clear the text is very legible which feels like something you shouldn't have to say But, you know, there's a reason that most things use things like Times New Roman and, you know, those very basic fonts because they're easy to read. A lot of rule books tend to want to go with fancy fonts, which aren't always easy to read. So, yep, very easy to read rule book, very well illustrated. And one thing I really, really like about this is everything that a player does is broken down to sections within this rule book so you know for example active player rolls this dice number one number two active player chooses one dice number three active player re-rolls remaining dice you know it is literally broken down into what could be described as an idiot's guide (laughs) 
of how to play the game. But the actual rules to play the game is all done on one page. So that's that's really good. It then breaks everything down nicely into how each of the coloured areas scores, which we will talk about a bit more in gameplay. Uh, but everything in that rule book is incredibly well explained and I can't find any fault with it. It's quite nice. It's clean. It's short. Everything you need to know about setting up the game is on the front page, but that is literally a case of give someone a sheet and a pen and then roll some dice. That That's pretty much it. So yeah, rule book gets a thumbs up from me on this one. Let's talk about the quality, James. The quality of these components. How are they for you? Yeah, a pad of paper is a pad of paper. Um, the dice are quite nice. The wooden dice serve their purpose. Yep, um, yep. And the felt pen seems still to be going, so <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll I'll go into slightly more depth. I think with 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 my analysis of it, the pad of paper, as I said, the graphic design on it is really good. It's clear as anything, and it's printed well. There's no misprints on it, so there's clearly been some form of quality control uh, at the factory. I'm not a huge fan of these felt pens, James. I'm not a huge fan. The reason being, it's not nothing to do with the fact that they're that there's anything wrong with them. It's that I'm a clumsy idiot, and every time I use them, I end up with marker pen all over my hands. I would much have preferred... Like, do you remember like Argos used to have those tiny little biros? Oh. I would have liked maybe four of those instead. Yes, Jason, but considering I've already compared this game to a slot machine, I don't think putting betting shot pens in there is going to... It's not helping the game's image, really. <laughs> but yeah, so a lot of betting shop style pens or pencils, I guess, would be, be pretty good. The felt pens, I... I sort of understand why they're there but yeah i'm not as keen on those see i've always had a problem and i don't know if this is just by mistrusting nature actually of games that require you to write and make notes if they provide pencils true i mean you'd have to be a real sad case to do that in this game you would but, but you, i could see you know yeah. as well as i do that those people do exist this is very very true indeed so i guess i guess yeah i mean like i said little mini biro i would have been happy with that especially as when they run out it's far easier just to go to a betting shop to you know pretend to place a bet and steal a load of pens that's what i would do <laughs> And yeah, final component I want to talk about is the dice. They are functional and they work. They're probably a little bit light for my liking because they are, as you said, they are wooden dice. So they don't have the weight of, you know, your average board game dice. I like the clatter of dice when it hits the table and that kind of stuff. So they, they just feel a bit better when they are the more standardized dice. But the wooden dice are nice and the paint markings on them seem to be holding true. So, yeah, quality. I, I don't think there's anything I can really complain about other than those tiny little bits that are more of a personal like and dislike, I, I, I guess. But yeah, let's talk about the gameplay, James. What are your pros and cons for this game? What do you like and dislike? Um, I don't think there's anything I inherently dislike about this game. It's a very simple game, oh, yeah. which is all, which is a big plus straight away, considering it's playtime. 30 minutes is probably about accurate for a four-player game. Mm. I mean, we just did a two-player game in, what I'd say... Probably 15, 20 minutes. Yeah, so 15, at a mo- at a push. 15 to 20 minutes, and we obviously know the game inside now. Yeah, yeah. so you can knock a two-player game out of this in 15 to 20 minutes easily. Um, do you think it's better at uh, a lower player count or, or higher? I'd say it's easier at a higher player count because there are less rounds. You've got more chance to pick up those extra dice mm. um, in, the, in the downtime. Yeah. Whereas, and I think you do get 
if you actually mathed it out, you can get more picks of dice at four players than you do at two players with the extra two rounds. Yeah, I mean, I've never really bothered to to sit down and math it out, but I always find I seem to get higher scores in a lower player count. So I, I clearly play better at a lower player count, but however, it doesn't mean I disenjoy mm. that full four-player count. I mean, we did a four-player game of this last night as a sort of wind-down mm after Arcana Rising, and that, that went down really well with the new player as well. I mean, that being said, the game is horrifically easy to teach. Yeah. Like, you know, I dumbed it down earlier by saying roll six dice, claim one. There isn't really much more to it other than that, other than the strategic side, which is another pro for me, because I genuinely didn't think when I first played this that it was going to be as strategic mm. as it is. You know, that whole thing of, yeah, I can just claim this die and I can mark this off, you know, bingo, whatever. But really, is it worth me spending that few extra seconds to sit there and math something out and go, well, I could do that. Or I could put it here, which will complete this line, which will give me a bonus, which will allow me to put something here, which will give me another bonus. Yep. And thus the chain begins, so on and so forth. All of that comes from those that few extra seconds of sitting there going, no, math it out a little bit. So that's really good. That's definitely my, a, a massive pro for me. Mm. But it's also the source of my first con analysis in paralysis. the game. This game is, yeah, it's it's analysis paralysis prone. Because while you, it could just be that few seconds to try and figure out if you can get that chain going, what you will find is you'll find some gamers will just want to spend a lot of time trying to figure it out every single dice. Mm. And suddenly this short game becomes really, really long with the downtime for the other players being long and drawn out and stuff like that because they're sitting there looking for a chain that just doesn't exist, Mm. you know, and they're insistent in their mind. There is a chain. There is a chain. There is a chain when there just isn't. So there is that potential. Would you say that that's a, a, an issue that you've come across a lot? Uh, yeah, I think it's come across in a couple of the games we've played and there isn't really a way to counter it because there's no time limit or anything like that on mm. your turn. So it can ruin the pacing of the game. Yeah, yeah, I find the game runs better when it, everyone's just, you know, they roll the dice, they have a quick look at the dice. Okay, what can I, can't I do? Right, can, is there any other way that this will benefit me if I take this instead of this? You know, that that's, that's how, how things work a little bit better. Um, but the flip side of that, of course, and I'm sure it's happened to you, it's definitely happened to me, is when you do take your turn too quickly and then as you're clearing the dice away, you go, oh, you I've something. just seen it. Yeah, exactly. So sometimes, like I said, sometimes it is beneficial to literally just sit there for a few seconds and just go, right, stop everything, have a quick look, everything I've got on the table, and then make your decision. You know, because you've also got to think about the long run as well. You know, there's multiple rounds that you're going to be doing this. And to touch on how the game plays a little bit, obviously, when it's your turn, you roll your six dice and you claim a die, then you roll again, claim another die, and you do that up to three times. The trick with the game, though, a lot of people forget this on their first run when you roll the die you immediately see oh a five or a six has come up all right that's a high number that's going to get me good points if you claim a die and there's any dies that are lower value they actually get removed from the pool into the discard into the discard area yeah which when you're re-rolling obviously limits your choices going forward so if you've got six dice and they're for example one three three four five six Mm -hmm. you take that five everything below five is going straight into the discard pile if that's your first roll yeah you've then really limited yourself on what you're going to be claiming but you've also potentially benefited the other players yeah 
because at the end of your turn, they get to choose one die from that discard pool and, and add it to their scoreboard. That's another strategic layer to this game, though, isn't it? It's what does everyone else need? And mm-hmm. am I about to kick off someone else's chain mm. by discarding this dice? Which I know in this game, I'd, I've tried sort of judging how you play the game and the multitude of times that we've played it now. I've never really seen you checking out my board, for example, to, to sort of... A, and the perfect example was the game we have just played. In that very last round, you did something which kept, I think it was an orange six. Yeah. Or a, or a white six, which is a wild color, just for the record. White is wild. And that was able to kick off a massive chain for me. Yeah. Which completed three different sections on yep. my ball, which gained me basically all of those points that I beat you by. You know, I mean, probably, I, I think I was ahead anyway, but that essentially cemented that victory. And you said it yourself, as soon as we finished playing, it's like, as soon as you saw that chain yep. kicking off, you realised. I mean, well, I'm sure we'll get to the explanation of this in a minute, but the reason I didn't stop you from doing it is because I physically couldn't. Because even if I claimed it, you had those... Yes, the bonuses, yeah. which allowed me to... I did see it, and I, that was more a case of, I can't stop mm. it from happening. Yeah. So, yeah, obviously, within the game, there are certain bonuses that you get. For completing sections, you get free re-rolls, which can be used on your turn. And the, the powerful one, I guess, is the harder one to get, but it gets you the ability to pick an extra die from the discard pool at the end of a turn. But that when you use that special action, that bonus, it also allows you to take a die from the active player's board. Mm. Yep. Which so. is the only way you can do it. Normally, you only have access to that to the discard, discard area. So you can block yeah. other people from claiming the dice. But if they've got one of those plus ones... They can claim it straight off your board. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you don't lose it, so it's not no. like a, a, a spiteful thing that can be used because there's very little player interaction when it comes to that. No, but when you think to yourself, like, "Oh yeah, I'm, I'm claiming all of these powerful dies, you know, really high value dies, but to stop everyone else from getting them." Yeah, you're you're, you're really not because it's if not, someone has got those, then they're going to use them. Uh, it's it's not when you're stopping other players. It's not so much the value of the dice; it's the color Mm. it's like if i remove this color it's going to stop this chain from happening unless you've got one of those plus ones because then it doesn't matter because you're going to take it off off my board anyway yeah but i could deny you or attempt to deny you that section yeah without at least forcing you to spend one of your bonuses i mean that in itself is is a reason i think that it's very rare you will see the wild die ending up on the silver platter yes because obviously it can be used as anything, which is beneficial to most people. No matter what its value, it will find a way onto someone's board. But yeah, I I, I really enjoy the game. It's it's very simplistic in in the way it works. But this initially led me to a con that I think I've now actually disagreed with myself on that. And that was that I figured the replay value of this would be fairly minimal. However, I've been shocked by the fact that pretty much whenever this is in the game bag, as like, a, oh, I've got a little bit of space at the top of the game bag, I'll shove in a couple of games so games don't move. Mm. It's nearly always been requested, yeah, which really surprises me. I think, me. because this is something I was going to lay, you lay about the strate- there's a lot of strategic thinking in this game, but I don't know about you, but I actually find it hard to settle on a strategy because so much of it is based on luck of the dice. Of course, yeah. So, I mean, at the beginning, I, I might sort of think, all right, I'm going to I'm gonna go for the blue section. 
but usually after the first two rolls, it's like, right, I've not got any, I've not got any blues, and suddenly I'm three up the green track. Well, I guess we're going with the green track then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sort of thing, and there goes my plan out the window. Yeah, you kind of are always at the mercy yep. of the dice and when they come out and, and what yep. numbers that come out, but what colours come I, out. I find the, the, the actual strategy for playing the game is very organic because it's almost like until the second or third round, you just go with the dice and... Th- it's sort of around yeah. the third or fourth round that you're okay. I need, I've got a couple of re rolls and a couple of plus ones now that my board has started to form. Yeah. I now, I'm letting the board dictate my strategy, not me yeah. dictate the board. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we say about strategy and, and you know, you, you're saying about picking a color area that you might go towards. I find that, again, naturally, all of the sections tend to come up. At roughly the same sort of speed, you know, you might get, say, the blue having slightly more in it compared to the purple. Mm. But by the end of the game, you'll always find that they've all got a decent amount of of things in them, which actually adds to the other scoring section of this, which is the fox heads, which everyone always asks, what are the fox heads? And the easiest way to say it is basically exactly as it is, is at the end of the game, you take your lowest scoring area times that by the amount of fox heads that you've achieved, and that's your points for for that section. And you will always find, like you said, most of the sections have got fairly, you're fairly progressed through them, but there's usually one that's been ignored because it just hasn't come up for you Mm. for me it's nearly always purple yeah purples for me is actually very hard to do because it's ascending numbers have to be ascending you know and and it's very rare that you want to take a die that is valued at one but actually on the purple track you you kind of need to because you need to get it started low and build it up because as soon as you hit that six it then resets and you can start again yeah well that's it my strategy for the purple section, like you said, because it's ascending, is, and it usually ends up being my lowest scoring one mm. because if it's a, not a one or a six, yeah. initially it gets ignored. Yeah. Because if you get one of those middle ones, it's like, well. Yeah. I mean, because the other way that that track scores as well, because you obviously add everything together. Yeah. So you don't want those ones down there. You'd rather, oh no, I just want six, 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 six. How often are you going to get those sixes? Yeah. And if you do magically roll a six, for example, a six purple, it's like, oh, yeah, no, I really want that. But it's like, oh, yeah, but all the other dice are lower, which means I'm going to lose them. Yeah. So or, it's always the one that I look at and go, that's my it is, leave but it's it till the, last track. It's the one that I tend to dump unless I'm desperate for it in the other one. Like, for instance, the round four b- round bonus where you mm. put an X or a six on a track. Yeah. That yeah. tends to go to purple. Yeah. And, you know, my purple track tends to fill up through bonuses from other areas because there's a couple of areas that give you six in purple as well. And it's sort of like, I'm not actually taking the purple dice, but anything that's in the purple track is coming from bonuses. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk about gameplay before we go to our final thoughts? I mean, it's... There are, uh, well, I think we should touch on it slightly. The amount of, and the, the reason we said it was like bingo is because it's not just straight up end game scoring points. A lot of them are almost like um, patterns as mm, well. So yeah. some will give you end game points, but others will give you bonuses. Like if you get four across the yellow track, put an X in blue. For yeah, example. you cross off a blue one of, of any. Yeah, and, yeah. and that's where those chains come in. It's like, mm. well, if I take that dice, it completes that line, and I get to put an X in blue. And if I put that X in blue, it completes that line, and I get to put an X in green. Mm-hmm. And that's going to give me a re-roll on, the next, on my next yeah. turn. And they can get 
stupidly powerful. If yeah, you do especially it right. towards the end of the game when you're just starting to fill those tracks up. Yeah, I I definitely find the later part of the game there's a lot more thought. Yeah put into the dice selections because it is at that point it's like well this section's almost done which will give me this this will give me this this will give me this and blah 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 you know there's so much going on so many chains that come along at the end of the game that you know james you you may well be in last place going into the last round yeah but if you hit a good chain but if you hit a good chain you suddenly go from last place to first place again talking about the game that we've just done looking at the score track here i had no foxes going into that first round i then got two in that last round which as we said doubles my lowest scoring track which was 22 points. So I gained 44 points just from completing those particular lines within the game. And there's five of them. Yeah. You know, imagine if I got all five. There's lots of ways to score game, score points in this game. And it's something I didn't talk about, actually, when I was talking about the rule, but my favourite part of the rule book is actually the very back page. Yeah, you have scores. The, the sort of <laughs> the, the, the jokey little bit at the bottom there where it uh, tells you roughly how you've done, you know, for example, if you get under 140 points, it just simply says, try harder. You know, another one which would be 140 to 159 points. Not bad, but you could do better. And, you know, it goes all the way up to the very top level, which is above 280 points, which is just you're so clever mm. you know it's, it's a little touch like that that i love because that is you know because that's a joke for me after i've taught someone a new game mm. and we've all done our scores at the end i can then sit there and go according to the game james you need to try harder sir you know and it's funny so what did i get in that last one joseph 228 points you got impressive oh well, there we go see that's good I've two and a half stars there we go i've only ever got into that upper echelon once the very top one. Um, I've, I've done it once and that's it. I've never done it since. So that's a, that's an aim for me. I need to hit that one again. I'd like to move on to my final thoughts because uh, we're, we're going on now. We've been talking for about half an hour and my throat is starting to go dry. So for me, my final thoughts about Ganshon Clever is this is the game that opened my eyes to the world of Roll and Rights. Um, I have since bought and played quite a few Roll and Rights and I have to thank Wayne and Tom of Board Stupid for forcing me to to play this and, and getting over that hump of I will never play Roll and Rights because I really enjoyed it. Um, very, very good game. I def- definitely recommend this game to pretty much anyone. Um, for me, the cost of the game being below £10 says that there should be a copy of this game as part of every game group. Doesn't mean that every player needs to own this, but I feel that a copy of this needs to be within every game group. I mentioned it earlier, there is a digital phone app version of this game. It is incredibly addictive. That actually really adds to the replayability of this game because you can play with different scoreboards. So it changes that up there with your bonuses being different and things like that. So that's really, really good. Well worth the money that that is. I think it's about £1.60, something like that. There are other versions or later versions of this game. Like there's, this is the very first one they released. Then you've got Doppeljong Clever, I believe it is, which is number two. There's a third one. I think there's a fourth one coming out. I'm interested to try them, mainly because the, while I enjoy this game, it seems like a bit of, you know, one hit wonder. So interested to try those. The other thing, I do think this would be good for families. Yes. Not young kids, because there is obviously quite a bit of math involved. But 
I would agree with the age rating on the box. Eight, eight plus. Eight plus. Yeah, I, I think I would agree with that. Eight, nine, ten in that sort of region. Very, very good. Because this is fun maths. Mm. You know, let's be honest. We all hated maths at school. Or well, most people hated maths at school. This is fun. Mm. This is the kind of thing that I think if they did play this kind of stuff in school, you might get a bit more engagement with it. Yep. So, yeah. Final thoughts for you, James. Who would you recommend it for? Um, I would uh, echo everything you said. It's like this should be at least one copy in every game group because it is fun. It's easy to pick up and play. It's got a short, short enough play times. Great ice breaking game or cool down game. Yeah, I'd basically recommend this for everyone. Yeah. Value for money? Happy with oh, the value? Oh, nine pound. Yeah, it's a steal. Yeah. Um, I think the most I've ever seen it for is about fifteen pounds. I'd say that's pushing it a bit for a pad and some dice, mm. but nine nine pounds. If that's the RRP, then I'd say yeah. Now, one one other question I would have for you, James, and I know where I stand on this. This is a one to four player game, but theoretically, this could easily be played by ridiculous amounts of people. Would you agree with it? No, because of the internal mechanics of the game, and you know the unactive players being able to take dice the more players you have the longer the round goes on the more high the easier it is to get up to that higher score levels because you've just got access to more dice yes so no the game has been scaled according to a maximum of four players and yeah you break it adding more players in yeah no that's exactly how i feel Uh, i thought i'd bring it up because there are a few people online that have always turned around and said well it's a rolling light it's easy just to give out more sheets it's like yes you can technically do that but the scale wise it doesn't work on that principle the game could have unlimited players it would technically work but like i said you break the scoring system because every time you add another player in that's another round of dice that you've got access to. So it makes the game easier. Yeah, precisely. So, yes, that is my final, minor final thoughts on Gangstrong Clever. It's time for the Meeple rating, James. Mm. I'll let you go first this week. I'm going to give Gangstrong Clever a solid seven. Nice. Very nice. For me, again, yep, fun gameplay, easy to teach, could be knocked out in a very quick amount of time, cheap and cheerful. I'm going to join you at seven. I am going to join you at seven. I, I enjoy this game. It's definitely above average. It's nearly always in my game bag. So, yeah, 7 out of 10. Hmm. Should we hand over to the man in the news shed for some more news and crowdfunding stuffs? Let's do that. Let's do it. Over to you, Paul. Apologies to our listeners for both last week's news and this week's, as my voice hasn't quite improved that much. Oh, come on, I'm not sure that listening to you for the next 10-15 minutes is going to help. Seeing as I'm the only one here who understands the official language of rubber duck. Well, they know how I finish our news section, so I'm sure they got the drift, even though you finished it off the other week. Saying that, you nearly finished me off waving that bloody frying pan around. And that lump still hasn't gone down yet. Right, I suppose i better get the news done before my voice goes on the blink again. You ready on that button? Go for it. Understandably, over the course of the last couple of years, I'd imagine the sales of Matt Leacock's Pandemic may have taken a little dip, but the system it uses has been adapted into various other guises, meaning it's now become sentient in a matter of terms and is now known as the Pandemic System. 
Okay, most of the pandemic system offshoots have relied on the diseases aspect. We have had a couple break the rule in the form of pandemic Rule of Cthulhu, Fall of Rome and Rising Tide. Well, the latest title to use the system, developed by Matt Leacock and adapted by Alexander Ortloff for Z-Man Games, takes us to a galaxy far, far away. That's right, we'll be diving straight into the prequel trilogy of the Star Wars saga in the title Star Wars The Clone Wars. With planets across the galaxy under siege from the Separatist threat and their battle droids, players will be taking on the role of one of seven legendary Jedi travelling from battle to battle. So with any pandemic system game, you take on a certain asymmetric role of either Anakin Skywalker, Ahsoka Tano, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Mace Windu, Yoda, Isla Sakura, or Luminara Undula, as you take on the iconic baddies of the moment in the form of General Grievous, Asajj Ventress, Count Dooku, and Darth Maul. And no, Darth Maul did not die at the end of Phantom Menace, even after being cut in half. No, really. As with the Jedi heroes, each villain will have a unique scenario to give you a different challenge, meaning plenty of replayability when you mix up different heroes with villains. The battle droids attack on sight and a planet invaded by too many will fall under a blockade, hindering Jedi from liberating it from the enemy or accomplishing missions. So players must work together to confront the onslaught of droids by moving into their spaces and engaging them in combat utilising dice and squad cards to deal damage and push back the threat. In between battles, players move from planet to planet, battling more droids, crushing blockades, completing missions to turn the tide of war and facing off against those iconic villains. Star Wars The Clone Wars is due out next month and we're looking at an RRP of £59.99, but I've seen some pre-order prices up around the £42 mark as I've browsed around. And sticking with the pandemic theme, well, the original designer anyway, and indeed to another section of the news, the crowdfunding projects, comes the latest game from Matt Leacock and his co-designer Matteo Menapas as they announce their new game Daybreak, which recently made its way to the Backerkit crowdfunding platform. The platform is currently in its beta format until sometime next year, with projects few and far between at the moment. Originally a support service and toolkit for creators for Kickstarter, Backerkit launched its own crowdfunding platform designed to host projects earlier this year. The publisher behind Daybreak, CMYK, stated that it and the designers chose Backerkit because of Kickstarter's involvement in blockchain technology, which has been proven to have a negative impact on the crowdfunding environment, which Backerkit have said they will not be investing in either the blockchain technology or its currency. Besides the crowdfunding campaign for Daybreak, Backerket is set to host projects for companies such as Whirly Gig Games, the studio responsible for John Company 2E, Root, publisher's leader games and Restoration Games, the publisher behind Return to Dark Tower. Onto the game itself, Daybreak is an upcoming board game that is entirely themed around the danger of climate change and the need to protect the environment. It's a co-op board game for one to four players that has the group working together in an attempt to stop the damage to the earth caused by climate change. As a team player, you'll be collaborating to save the planet from overheating, 
deforestation, fracking and other extremely destructive practices that are pushing it towards peril. Using speculative technology, supportive organisations and real-world solutions, players will prevent the end of the world. Inspired by the likes of Wingspan, Terraforming Mars and Race for the Galaxy, each player will take control of one of four different world powers. China, Europe, United States and the majority world. As these world powers, players will be looking to reach zero emissions before the global temperature reaches 2 degrees or too much pressure is put on local communities. As the game begins, players will be looking to manage the amount of carbon cubes they have to draw, which references how many carbon emissions humanity is releasing into the air. Whenever players cannot place carbon cubes next to oceans and forests on the board, they have to place them into the thermometer that represents a gradual increase in the Earth's temperature. As the temperature increases, players will reveal crisis cards that they'll have to respond to, presenting the devastating effect climate change has on the world. Players must work together to remove dirty energy and polluting industries from their respective player boards, which will defer depending on the world power. For example, the US board has a lot more transportation emissions to cope with, whereas the majority world will need to adapt as their respective economies develop. Players can perform actions by playing cards from their hand, with a combination of possible actions allowing them to find various solutions to their problems. The Backerkit crowdfunding campaign for Daybreak is live now until sometime in October, with the estimated shipping date for May 2023, and backers can get a copy of the core game for £43 or $50. The next entry in the Zombie Kids series, which is published by the studio behind Decrypto, Scorpion Mask, will involve investigation. Flashback, Zombie Kids is the latest release in the board game series for children and will have players examining various scenarios in search of clues. As investigators, players will be examining a number of cases by hunting for details in a deck of cards, featuring illustrations containing key pieces of information important to the story. As players move between different characters' points of view, they'll be represented with a fresh angle that may provide new insight into the current case. As a group, players in the upcoming board game will explore three important memories, through the eyes of various kids, zombies, animals and even objects, looking for the solution to every case. Each playthrough of Flashback will be unique depending on which tools players use, with the goal being to discover and thwart the zombie plans in order to save the future. Flashback Zombie Kids was co-designed by Baptiste Derez and Marc-Antoine Doyon, with this being the co-creator's debut design. The Zombie Kids series began with the release of the original zombie board game in 2013, which has players working together to save the neighbourhood from the threat of the undead. As local kids, players will need to eliminate zombies, lock doors and prevent zombies from getting out of the cemetery. The series followed up with Zombie Kids Evolution, seeing players making their way through a school, barricading doors and taking out the undead before they can infiltrate their classrooms. A prequel introductory case for Flashback Zombie Kids is available to play for free online right now and with the full board game set to arrive in November for a retail price of about £25 or $30. And we're heading on over to crowdfunding and all three of these are on Kickstarter at the moment. First up is Age of Comics The Golden Years by Gaia Carmo Semini, Sonia Gonclaves and published by Lyrius Games. It's for 1-4 to four players, 50-120 to 120 minutes to complete, 
13 years and over, and ends on Wednesday 19th of October. Age of Comic The Golden Years is a worker placement management game in which players will be running a publishing company during the Golden Age of Comics, 1938 to 1954. In each round, the players, in turn, must position four meeples, or editors. They can choose four out of six spaces, called publishing tasks. There are six publishing tasks in total that can be performed in any order and lead to six specific player actions the hire, develop, ideas, print, sales and royalties. The game lasts five rounds, where the object of the game is to accumulate the highest number of fans, make money by publishing comics, and create the best portfolio of comic books. Throughout the game, a fan chart will track the number of fans accumulated by the comics and will award victory points based on the player's ranking at the end of every round. In the last round, the number of fans is converted into victory points. The money accumulated is instead divided by four. The winner is the player who scores the most victory points. The standard edition will set you back £41 for the game, with any unlocked stretch goals associated with the standard version. Or grab the collector's edition for £59, getting you the collector's edition of the game with upgraded components, additional cards including comic cards by guest artists, the war expansion, a box sleeve, custom designed insert and of course access to all stretch goals achieved. Next up is Dungeon Bruh by Sky Castle Studios. It's for 2-4 to four players, takes 45-60 to 60 minutes to complete, 14 years and over, and ends on Thursday 20th of October. Dungeon Bruh is a comical dungeon deck building game. It's a game you play with friends to test those friendships and hopefully share a laugh. Sometimes a ha ha, sometimes a ha but usually a ha. Within the dungeon roams a terrible Cthulian beast named Kevin. You are on a noble quest to steal the loot or be the sole survivor. With noble intentions, you and your party members embark on this quest, which will very soon devolve into disarray as the loot runs low, but above all, avoid Kevin at all costs, especially when you're weak, and instead storm into glorious battle when you're overpowered to claim the beast's treasures. Your party of two heroes dive through the deck to assemble weapons and items to fight the dungeon boss Kevin and his minions. Kevin is a recurring roulette card that re-enters the draw pile after combat, so when you defeat Kevin and his monsters, you will be able to draw treasure cards. You win the game by either outlasting other players, or by drawing four specific loot cards from the treasure pile. Players can be eliminated from the game when they are unable to defeat Kevin or his monsters in combat. The rules of the game can be changed by casting world enchantment cards. Kevin being the only recurring card in the game will in most cases be the final in the draw pile. If this is the case, all players take turns battling Kevin until there is a winner. Pledge £18 for the Dungeon Bruh game, or even add the Call of Cthulhu expansion to the base game pledge for £27, with both pledges including stretch goals. And last up is Cookie Run Kingdom the board game by Gamblo Inc. 2-4 players, 30-60 to 60 minutes, 14 years and over, and ends on Friday 21st of October. Cookie Run Kingdom, the board game, is a worker placement territory building game based on the video game IP Cookie Run that has spawned two popular mobile app games. In this game you become a king of a delectable kingdom and compete with other players to make your kingdom as awesome as possible. 
To do so, you'll place your workers or sugar gnomes on eight different locations to collect resources and construct exciting and fabulous buildings. You also team up cookies to fight against evil monsters, and you may clear the overgrown forest to expand your territory even bigger and bigger. Board game has several mechanics incorporated into it, as well as the worker placement, it uses tile placement, income, end game bonuses and dice rolling. Pledge at £36 for the game and any unlocked stretch goals. Additional pledges are available but only upcount the games received rather than additional content. Although add-ons are available like the additional character Sea Fairy Cookie for £7 or four neoprene player mats for £10. And we're heading on over to events. Yep, Tuesdays has Worthing board gamers congregating down at the Dice Worthing store from 7pm until 10pm. Location of the store is 24 to 26 Portland Road, Worthing, BN11 1QN. Just £3 per head for the session with food, drink and an alcohol license so you can enjoy a bevy or three whilst gaming. Wednesdays has two groups running. If you're in the Crawley area, Crawley Gaming Community is being hosted at the comic shop. 42 High Street, Crawley, RH10 1BW, gathering from 6ish onwards until close, just £3 per head there. Again, food, drink and an alcohol license if you fancy some dizzy water with your dice rolling. Joining the Wednesday night groups, but a little closer to the coast, is Brighton Board Gaming, also known as Board Games at the Barn, run by designers Team Custard Kraken. You can find them at the West Dean Barn, Dean Vale, Brighton, BN1 5ED. They'll be running from 7pm through to 11pm, free for new attendees and £2 from there on in. Thursday sees two groups running, starting with Worthing board gamers pitching up to the Yardington Hotel, Steen Gardens Worthing BN11 3DZ from 7pm. Those of you further east can try Lewis Board Game Club at the Trinity Gaming Cafe. The location being Trinity Church, Arbinger Place, Lewis, BN7, 2QA, running from 7pm through to 11pm. And relieving to some extent that Monday feeling is a Crawley Gaming Club on Monday evenings, running from 6pm over at the Tilgate Community Centre, Shackleton Road, Crawley, RH10, 5DF. Just £3 per person with drinks and snacks available for purchase on site. And one note to add is that they've been getting extremely busy lately, so make sure you book yourself a table over on their Facebook page. Well, Brian, we got through that okay, didn't we? Okay, just. Fancy a game? You go and pick, but say goodbye to everyone first. And it's a goodbye from me. Keep safe and well, Meeples. Keep those dice rolling, the cards shuffling, and we'll be right here for you next week. Thank you very much there, Paul. Thank you guys for joining us once again for another game highlight episode this week, talking about Ganshun Clever. I've lost track of how many times I've mispronounced this game. <laughs> I'm probably still doing it. I would imagine you are. Um, I could just call it by the English name because it's even written on the box in English as well, but I never do. Mainly because a game called That's Pretty Clever isn't quite as good as all Ganshun Clever. How did you find the game, Joes? I, I enjoy it every yeah. time we play it, despite the fact that I don't think I'm very good at it. <laughs> I'll be honest, I was genuinely surprised when you said about playing a game before we went live today. It's, it's usually an indication to me of how the episode's going to go from your part. 
Because, you know, if you turn up and say, oh, no, I want to play a game before we record rather than after. In all honesty, though, nine times out of ten, yes, if I want to play a game before we record, it's because I really like the game. I do really like this game. But my main thought process was, well, we're boiling the kettle. We're going to have a cup of tea. This game only takes 15 minutes to play. So why the hell not? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, that's the, the cold hard truth of it is we'd finish playing the game before we'd finish the cup of tea. You know, and that's, uh, I, I'm not a slow drinker when it comes to tea. So that gives you uh, everything you need to know, I think. Ah, oh, dear James. So what are we going to play this? Well, actually, no, I've got a new game coming, James. You've I've got a new game coming? Finally. I am I, shocked. I, well, yeah. <laughs> I've got multiple new games coming. But the particular one I'm talking about was while I was at Paul's game day, I played uh, Acropolis, which is like a, a city building uh, type game. And... I'd heard so much about it, yet I'd never seen it. Our local game store hasn't got it in. I even asked them. With their distributors, they don't have access to it. But I'd heard lots about it, and someone there had it. So I got them to run me through a game, and I absolutely loved it. It's another cheap game. I think you'll be very impressed with the components of this game. But this is a game that when it turns up, we are going to be playing it. And I think we're going to get a review out of it pretty damn quickly. It's a pretty simple game to play, but it's unbelievably thinky. It's not a game you think will be thinky, but it's thinky. Okay. So I think you will like this game. So yeah, that you can look forward to as well. Acropolis. Really looking forward to that. Shall we head off and play another game, James? Let's do it. Till next week. I have been Jason. And I've been James. And you've been listening to the Meeple Mining Podcast. Join us next week for more tabletop gaming goodness. Ta-ta. Goodbye.